Well, take your Bibles, folks, and let's, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, and I think that song really is the hope of what the Lord Jesus is doing in this passage and in the Sermon on the Mount as He's wanting to raise up a new community, a new people, a new generation that rightly understands uh, what a relationship with the God of Israel looks like. And they had misunderstood it, they had misconstrued it, they had mishandled the Word of God. And so what He's doing in the Sermon on the Mount is He's hoping to come and help them see uh, what true righteousness is. And to do that, He's going to confront today, and throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, He's going to confront false righteousness. So you're going to see this as we walk through uh, this next part of the series out of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've, we've framed it, we've titled this section this series you've heard it said (laughs) right but I say to you and so all through this what what Jesus is doing is he's helping tear down what is what they falsely built self-righteousness and build up and show them uh, what true righteousness is all about now I hope I hope you're excited to find out what that is I hope that you enjoy uh, reading the Word of God and learning more about it, and I want to encourage you in it today. Here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's on a mission. He has been sent from the Father to seek and to save those who are lost, to call out uh, a people for His own possession, to call out people who will follow Him and who will be in right relationship with God. He's tried to build, and in different places He calls it a home, a household. He says, I'm I'm gathering the household of faith. And you and I, as dads in particular, have that same mission. And I know if you're a father and you're here at church this morning, probably you have this, you share this mission with Jesus and you share this mission with your pastor. And that is, we hope to see our home, our household, become a a people of faith, a household that will not only have greater peace and 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 uh, lead, leading of the Holy Spirit in this life, but will also be a family fit for the kingdom of God and for heaven. How many of you? How many of you would love to see your household fit for heaven? Raise your hand. All right. So I'm just seeing a bunch of people that are going to agree. We need to know this. We need to walk through this and understand that Jesus is on this mission, and so whatever he does to make his household, which includes you and I, fit for heaven, you and I can duplicate that. We can't do exactly what he did, but we can follow this pattern and bring what Christ has done for us into our household, and that's, that's my hope and encouragement for you today. It's entitled, Building a House Fit for Heaven, and that's what I want And I know that's what you want. In fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's this wonderful passage that I love. And it's kind of a warning, but it's also an invitation. At the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, it's chapter 7. We'll get there one day. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Some of y'all are familiar with this story. And then he goes on and says, And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because that household had been founded on the rock. And that's his illustration. And then he says, But everyone who hears these words of mine 
You've heard it said, but I tell you, if you hear these words, what I'm telling you, and how I'm going to show you what the Old Testament really means, and how I'm going to fulfill it for you, if you build your life and your household upon this, you're going to be like a man who builds on art. But if you don't, you're going to be like a man, a foolish man, who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. There's a storm coming. There's a judgment coming. You and I face a degree of that every day. We live under the brokenness of sin in our world. And we, we kind of live under just that part of God's judgment. And we want our homes to be able to withstand the cultural assaults. And the assaults and the temptations of this world, they're great. And they're great upon you dads in so many ways. We're battling the storm just in everyday life. And then ultimately, death brings us straight before the judge, our heavenly father. And if we're alive when he comes back, we're going to face that. And so we want a household that is fit for that. Now, Jesus is going to begin to challenge some of what people... He's really going to challenge throughout this sermon the foundations of the house that most of the Israelites had been building. And he's going to tell them that the houses, this, um, this belief structure and this way of doing life that, brings you, that you think is pleasing God and going to get you to heaven and make you fit, you have actually built it on sand. And so he's going to come, and I may use the word deconstruct today because this word in particular has become fashionable in our community and in our world. People's faith is deconstructing. And we see people who are abandoning their faith. Well, deconstructing has become a, a sad thing nowadays. But it is actually what Jesus is doing in a particular way. He wants to deconstruct their false faith so that he can reconstruct true faith. And the true faith is exactly what we want you to hold to and that God wants us to hold to, and it is, it is built upon the rock of God's holy, authoritative word, and it is a built upon the work of Jesus Christ on the cross through his life and through his resurrection and through the gospel. And we want it built on that and so that the least bit of wind will not cause our young people and our children as they grow up to deconstruct and fall apart. This world, a lot of it's happening because it wasn't, these were lives and these were uh, uh, religious lives that had been built on sand rather than on truth. And so as fathers, we need to know and understand true righteousness found through Christ and through the teaching of His Word. And we need to lay that foundation so that... So that and and, and in, if in doing that, we may discover, men, that we have fabricated a type of faith for our family that needs to be cleaned off first. Some of you have bought property. 
and you didn't want the structure on the property, you just wanted the property. I know that happens at the beach a lot. Some of you may have done that because it's the property that's worth something, right? And so when we were, uh, we were looking at a piece of property to put a church on when I was pastoring in Virginia, the problem with this piece of property, it was perfect property. It was 20, 30 acres right on a main road. The problem with this one piece of property, and the property was going to be, the problem was it had a giant old hospital full of asbestos on it. The property you could get for a couple hundred thousand dollars, tearing the hospital down took a couple of million dollars. So we just couldn't do that. There, there's things that are constructed sometimes in your family and in your life and in your thinking that need to be torn down because they're not built on the rock. And so Jesus, is. this is his process. He's going to confront it. You have heard it said, or maybe you've said to your kids, or maybe your dad said this to you, but I say to you, build your house on that. So say amen if you're following me so far. All right, so that's what the Sermon on the Mount is really going to do. And this first passage that he uses is rather shocking. It's rather shocking because it's not what we would have expected. Sometimes people will say that Jesus was a real radical. He was bringing in new teaching. He wasn't bringing in new teaching. He was bringing in the old teaching and tearing apart the false teaching that had been added and stacked on top of it so look at Matthew five seventeen. he says this do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets what's the law and the prophets well the 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 Jews of that day thought of the law of the prophets in this way there there's certainly the ten commandments the kind of the center of it and then there was the five books of the Pentateuch, the Torah, that would have been called the law. And then there was the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all the minor prophets, major prophets. And so they had a text, really our Old Testament is what they would have been thinking of when he said the law and the prophets. So Jesus begins with a full-hearted endorsement of God's word, the Old Testament. Friends, be careful before you throw out something out of the Old Testament. Understand Jesus endorsed it. Listen to what he said. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it is accomplished. He says, I'm not here to abolish it. I'm actually going to fulfill it, and I'm going to accomplish the Old Testament. In fact, look at verse 19. If you relax any one of the least of these commandments, and then teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This would have been a popular thing. They actually, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, had, had ordered the commandments in levels of importance. They were the greatest of the commandments and the least, and Jesus did that to a certain extent. He talked, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And he was saying, if you do that, it kind of covers all of those things. But he says, he kind of uses this as a play with them. He says, if you relax even the one that you think is the least important commandment, if you relax that, you are not in God's will. So Jesus did not come to take away the truth of the Old Testament. He came to uncover it and return people back to it. 
And he shocks them with this verse right here. Look at verse 20. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, unless you actually are more righteous than the most righteous people you know, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Who's the most righteous person you know? Maybe it's that person sitting beside you. Maybe it's a, a grandparent. Maybe it's Billy Graham. Maybe you've got somebody in view. You know who the people of Israel would have had in mind when Jesus said, who are the, who's the salt and light of Israel today? They would have said, oh, that's easy. That's the Pharisees. And maybe even the Essenes. They were trying to outdo the Pharisees. They were living in these monasteries out just bathing a couple times a day and just trying to be completely separated from society. They would have looked to these Pharisees and, and, and others and said, oh, they're the most righteous because they're keeping all the rules. And Jesus comes in with a statement that is, is confusing to them. What do you mean? They're the top. They're the top of the top. They're the best of the best. I can't outdo a Pharisee, and many of them didn't want to try. He says, oh, your, your righteousness exceeds. It's got to exceed it. So Jesus, as you can see, in this early part of the Sermon on the Mount, is getting to something. He says, you need to be the salt and light of Israel. I'm creating a new household, a new people, and I'm going to help you become salt and light. And then they would say, well, uh, tell us how to do that. And he says, well, you're going to have to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. What? How can I do that? Well, that's what this sermon is about. This entire Sermon on the Mount. So I want to break it into two things. I want to see the Lord's mission that He's on and how He does it here to develop a people fit for heaven. And then I want to talk about our mission as parents real briefly. But let's look at His mission. Number one, you need to understand Jesus supports heaven's demand for righteousness. He expects true righteousness. And what was true righteousness? He pointed to it. He said the law and the prophets. What you see in the Old Testament, he says, I'm not doing away with that. This was God's expectation. And if you love God, don't you want to do what he expects of you? Some of you are going to do some things for your dad today you don't normally do because you love him. <laughs> it's Father's Day. I'll clean my room. Praise Jesus. I'll mow the grass. Oh, I needed you yesterday. If you love God, what, what does God expect? I want to do it. He says, I endorse the Old Testament. Jesus supports that. Then second of all, here's what he begins to do. This is how he accomplishes his mission. He says, I'm going to begin to tear down man's substitute for righteousness. I'm going to tear down these substitutes. I'm going to do away with the false sense of righteousness. So that's, that's letter B. So I'm going to support the truth of God's word, but I've got to do some uh, explanation of what true righteousness is. Now, how does he do that? Well, I've already mentioned a couple of things. He had to tear away some of the things that had been added. Now, what had been added? Well, I mentioned the three things they knew were the law, the Ten Commandments, the, the Torah, and then the, uh, the entire Old Testament, but then they would have added 
uh, thousands, literally thousands of regulations that the scribes had come up with. And why did they come up with thousands of extra regulations to put on top of it? Most of it was oral tradition until later on they wrote it down in commentaries, basically the Mishnah and Talmud. These things were collections of all of these extra rules. And why did they need that? Because they were frustrated that God had not been more specific in his commands. He said, uh, you are to rest on Sabbath. Well, what does rest mean? God never intended us to, to distrain that like a gnat. He said, you just rest from work. Well, how much, what is considered work? Well, they came up with hundreds of laws to describe what is work, what work is. And they created this, and, and the reason is, is because if you build this, this uh, framework of laws, you can check them off and say, well, I've accomplished the task. Let me just read some of these. They're funny and yet sad at the same time. What does it mean to carry a burden? You should not carry a burden on the Sabbath. What is a burden? Well, they decided it was food equal in a weight to a dried fig. Or enough wine for mixing in a goblet. Barclay writes this in his commentary and he says it was milk enough for one swallow. <laughs> Don't take two swallows, that's a burden. You just do one at a time. Or honey enough to put upon a wound, oil enough to anoint a, a finger, water enough to moisten an eye salve, paper enough to write a customs house notice, ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet. So stop writing. Then it went on and on. They spent endless hours, he says, in his, he says, arguing whether a man could or could not lift a lamp from one place to another on the Sabbath, whether a tailor committed a sin if he went out and, and had a, one of his needles stuck in his robe because that would have been carrying a burden. Did you know they debated whether a woman might wear a brooch or even a wig, or if a man might go out on the Sabbath with dentures or an artificial limb. You see what Jesus is coming, he's saying, listen, you have built this facade of, of all of these things on top of true righteousness. You've built a facade that will give you a sense of righteousness that is full of holes. It will not stand. And the Pharisees were living it out. And they were, that's why they were so mad at Jesus. Because he wasn't obeying all of their man-made traditions. And they were pointing at him and said, Listen, you're not supposed to eat with those people. You're not supposed to do that. And Jesus says, You've just heard that said, but I'm here to tell you. And I'm the author of the book. I say to you. And what I'm going to tell you is not going to relax it. It's going to tear away that false get to the bottom and of the law and the prophets. And then when you look at the law and the prophets, here's what's going to happen. You're going to look at the Ten Commandments, and you're going to look at that, and even when you take away the thousands of extra regulations, you're going to find that what is left is absolutely impossible to keep. And it condemns you. So I don't want you to to waste your time on self-righteousness and think you can walk around saying, well, I've not swallowed more than two. No, I've only had one thing of milk in my mouth today. I'm good. No. Here's what he did. Look at verse 21. 
We'll give you the first of six examples that we're going to walk through over the next few weeks. He says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Hey, is any of you murdered anybody recently? No confessions? I don't think probably any of us have murdered anybody. That's intentional taking of life. And we might think, well, at least I've got one of the commandments down. Check. Then Jesus says, but you missed the point. This law was to point to a heart attitude. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You mean I, my words reveal my heart and the condition of my heart is the, I, I have the heart of a murderer. Even if I haven't murdered people and I'm going to be held accountable for what's going on inside, yes. Yes. And so he begins to challenge them in this false righteousness. We were out in Los Angeles for the convention. Sarah and I took a few days and we toured around these places. There's not really any reason to go out there often, so we took advantage of it and we were walking along and I looked out at the ship and I recognized we were in Long Beach and I recognized a ship It was the Queen Mary and I'd heard the Queen Mary was out there. I didn't know a lot about it but it's been there since 1967 and it's been a tourist spot and people can go on and look around and so I took a picture of it of course and um, I, I had read about it and one of the things I'd read about it is that it's a continual nightmare to keep it afloat because it's rusting. And as I looked it back up to confirm some of what I thought, they've actually closed the Queen Mary for all of 2022, and the town of Long Beach took over the project, and they're spending millions of dollars to repair rust. What they found is they'd go around the ship, different places, and it, it had a nice paint job. They'd stick their finger in the paint job, and it'd go through. There's no metal. So years and years and years of mismanagement, they would put paint on top of rust, and they just couldn't keep up with the rust, and so you have a ship that's full of holes going nowhere. And I think that's what Jesus is looking at, this pharisaical faith and saying, it's a ship. It's got nice paint on it. It looks good, but it's full of holes. It will sink. It's going nowhere. In my prayer, that's not your faith. A faith built on self-righteousness. And Jesus said things like, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed, what? Tombs. You look pretty on the outside, but inside is full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And the answer the Sermon on the Mount gives is, You can't just put on another layer of paint and say, and keep the, the sign on it and pray, Kingdom people. Doesn't matter what you painted on it. And how good it looks, it's what, is there any metal left to the true faith? Is there anything under it? And so he begins to tear it down and rebuild it. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Six times, and we'll see that as we walk through. And by the way, Jesus uh, said, I've come to fulfill that righteousness. So Jesus um, endorses he expects the righteousness. He explains the righteousness. But here's the great thing about this text. Look at verse 20. 
verse 17, is that Jesus comes and enables true righteousness. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I say to you. Folks, this is why they were so angry at Jesus, the religious elite, because when you, when you come in and say, I'm going to fulfill the Old Testament, here's, here's several things he was saying. Number one is he says, I'm here to really explain it. That's part of what fulfilling it. I'm going to explain it to you. Number two, the prophecies that are in it, I'm going to meet those prophecies. I'm going to fulfill those prophecies. And then he says, I'm going, to, um, I'm going to tell you what it means for your life. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in two ways. He did it by living perfectly the life of obedience that the written word of God demanded. And second of all, he fulfilled it by paying the penalty for all the people who did not obey the law of the Old Testament. Think about the majesty of that statement. Jesus fulfilled the standard of righteousness in two ways. He lived it, and he paid the penalty for it. He covered both sides of the equation. And then he comes and he says, not only am I going to live it perfectly and pay the penalty as if I didn't and offer that covering and that substitute for you, he says, I'm also going to come inside of your heart and enable you to live it. This was in the Old Testament the whole time. They just couldn't see it because they were blinded by self-righteousness and man-made religion. They couldn't see it. Look what he says in verse 26 of Ezekiel 36. You've heard this from me. He says, and I will give you, this is God's promise through Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Israel, I'm going to give you a new heart, not a new paint job. And I'm going to give you a new spirit. I've got to do that. That's what's required is heart righteousness. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's why in Romans chapter 8, Paul is ecstatic and he's celebrating. He says, there is therefore, because of what Christ has done for us through his life, his death on the cross, and now putting his spirit in us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ Jesus, you're not in the Queen Mary full of holes going nowhere. You're in Christ Jesus, and it's solid. It's the solid rock. You place your faith in Him, and there's no condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The question is, which ship are you on? Where have you built your house? We need a new heart. <laughs> I used this illustration last message and in between services. It's funny how people hear this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So I'm out in California. I'm driving around places like L.A. and 
Santa Monica and all these places, you know I saw more Teslas than I've ever seen in my life. I mean, there were electric cars everywhere. Everybody out there wants an electric car. It's green energy. There's Teslas everywhere. And, uh, and I thought that was pretty interesting. And I kind of expected they're known for uh, that progressive uh, liberal stance on a lot of things out there. But here's what was so shocking to me is we were always trying to avoid the highways and so the waves was taking us different ways. We kept going by. The strangest thing is in the middle of Tesla land, there's a gigantic, right in the middle of L.A., there's a huge oil field. With these things, you know the pumping things like you see out in Texas? It was the oddest thing. I was walking through, and there's this thing. It's, I, I did a little research. It's four miles long. It's been there for like 100 years. It's been pumping oil. It's one of the biggest in our country. It's been pumping oil right in the middle of Teslaville. And I thought, this must really irritate all these folks that drive by it every day. They're trying to say, I'm doing green energy, and I've got a new, new car. And look at them. They're still pumping all that stuff. I just thought that was funny. But anyway... Then, of course, it just made perfect sense to what Jesus has done for us. <laughs> You're saying, how? How? The heart you're born with runs on self-righteousness. It runs on the things of this world. It loves to feed its own pride. Our engine, as it is, doesn't want to follow God. Our engine wants to follow the flesh. It's designed that way. We can't get pure enough fuel out of this world to help us run clean. We need total transformation. We need a new engine. A new heart, and that can only come through Jesus. One that doesn't run on self-righteousness and pride and the things of this world, but a heart that runs on the Spirit. You talk about clean energy. Run on the Spirit. That's the only way. That's the only way. And if you are, you're going to feel odd. You're going to be driving around the oil fields of this world every single day. And you're going to see everybody trying to burn the fuel of this world and live this world. And they'll be pumped full of pride and then when things are going their way. And it's going to be tempting to you and just say, no, listen, I'm going to run on Jesus. I'm going to build my home and my life on that rock. And he's given me a new heart that can run on him. You must receive that. Dads, that's your mission for your home. You need a home that runs on Jesus. To be fit for heaven, they need to see a dad who's running on Jesus. You need to, like Jesus, have a greater vision for your role as a parent. Let me just give you a few applications on your mission dads have a greater vision than just providing the sustenance providing the food and the money and the vacation and the protection 
make sure your vision is way beyond that. You want salt and light produced in your home and from your home. You want to see the community of God developed in your home. Make sure, like Jesus, dads, you don't. Maybe you verbally support and honor the Old Testament and the New Testament as God's word, but make sure your life is honoring what you say you believe. Honor the truth of the scriptures in your home. So develop a greater vision. Honor the authority and trustworthiness of scripture. Thirdly, I have to do this. And I know if I have to do it, we all have to do it. I must continually pursue and communicate an accurate understanding of God's Word because it is so easy for us to pile stuff on it. Well, you know, such and such told me such and such, and this is kind of what I heard. Be careful not to build stuff. And so you have to be able to discern, and you see Jesus do this, and here's what He does. He puts the Spirit in you to be able to discern and say, no, that's man-made. That ain't real. It sounds good, but I'm telling you, that's not, that's not right. Here's what Jesus says. Are you able to say to your family, here's what Jesus says. I know I have to continually be growing and learning my understanding of Scripture. And I want to do that because I'm in charge of helping build a household fit for heaven. And then fourthly, I can't do it on my own and neither can you. And so just encourage you, abide daily in Jesus. You must run on Jesus. You must abide in Him who enables you to model that true righteousness. And can I tell you, just tell you what true righteousness looks like a lot of times in the Chauncey family and in this, this man's life as a father, sometimes the true righteousness is looking at my kids and saying, forgive me. I have failed you. That is not honorable before God. I was not right. Did you know forgiveness and mercy is part of the gospel? Model that. Don't just slap on a fresh coat of paint and say, look at me, I'm perfect. By the way, they can see through that. <laughs> but continually grow and abide and, and let, let your family see you seeking Christ. In what you do and in who you are. And let me just one final thing. When, when you're parenting children and young people, and I had a I had a I, I think you have to be careful, no matter how many kids you have, you get into behavior control. No, stop, do that. I want them to act a certain way and be a certain way. And that is your job to a certain degree is to help them have manners and to see how to live life and what not to do, teach them right from wrong. And then you discipline. I've I, I preached sermons on that. I'm not saying you shouldn't discipline and set standards in all those ways. But your ultimate goal, Dad, is not behavior control. It's heart transformation. And to do that, lead your family to Jesus the rock
Let's pray. With every head bowed and just a time of reflection. Dads, I hope I didn't add more weight. Jesus comes with this and he says, listen, I give you my, a new heart, a new engine. Then I put my spirit in you to enable you and help change you and help transform your heart. And even if you're not there yet, I'm with you to help you become more Christ-like. That is the amazing God. That you and I have the privilege of knowing is a God who doesn't just look at us and shame us for being imperfect dads, but comes along with us, in us, to help us grow and become. He'll do work through you. You never see. Maybe this side of heaven. So abide in Him daily. And let Him just create in you that clean heart. And let Him lead through you. But I, I just encourage you, dads, pursue Christ each and every day. But everyone who is here, including you dads, I don't know if this message, if the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you are concerned that you have a, a faith that is built on the wrong things. Maybe it's stuff your own opinion. Maybe your faith is a combination of some of what you like out of the Bible and some of what you've come up with. I hope the Holy Spirit has showed, has, has revealed to you that that ship is full of holes and it's rusting and it will not float. And scripture gives you a way out of that you must just repent you just leave that ship and you turn to christ you repent of your sin and you come to christ and maybe some of you here today need to repent of of believing in something other than the work of christ on the cross for you his resurrection his life his perfect life if you've been trusting in anything else i just encourage you right now you've got to repent of that and place your trust fully in christ I encourage you every Sunday to just pray. Just turn to Him. It says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call upon Him, no matter what condition you think you're in, you call upon Him. He rescues you. He takes you. He get, you are born again in Him. He brings you in and He replaces that old engine with a new one. And then He abides with you. You abide with Him. Would you trust Christ as your Savior this morning if you hadn't? And I invite you when we stand and we sing, and I would love to know about that. I'm going to be down here to the side. We're also going to have prayer partners. I'd love for you to come talk to one of them and let them pray for you and celebrate that. And if you need to be baptized, and you do, following belief comes baptism. Let us, let us move you towards that. If some of you have been believers for a while and need to be baptized, it would be a great time to say that. But listen, I would love everybody today especially if you're a dad, if you want to come and pray at this altar, it's a great time just to say, God, help me to be the Father that only you can be through me, that I can only be in you. Help me lead my family well. And maybe you're here struggling. You're a single mom. You're a single dad. Well, we'd love the honor of just praying for you and all that challenge that you have. 
It's not easy, and we know that. We want to come alongside of you any way we can. If you need prayer in any way, you come. I'll be out in the foyer after the service as well. Our prayer partners will be here. If you've got anything you'd like to share, listen, we're here for you, however God's spoken to you today. Father, may we respond as you let us. May we say yes to whatever your question is, uh, whatever you're leading us to do. We just want to give our yes to you today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.